Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of Boss Builder Podcast is brought to you by Boss Builders University. Now, as a manager, I'm sure the last thing you want to do is go to training. Training is boring. Training is stupid. They play dumb training games, and in the end, you can't remember anything you learned. Well, as a manager, you need those skills. Fortunately for you, we have an option. Boss Builders University has a program called Boss Builder Academy. In just five to seven minutes per week, you can get the basic skills and knowledge you need to go down in history as an awesome, great boss. You're going to find that it is affordable, so your company should have no issues sending you. It's self-paced, it's on demand, and I think in the end, you're going to find you learn a whole lot. For more information, check us out at bossbuildersuniversity.com. COVID-19 has changed all sorts of different things, and as the boss, you probably have to deal with people's fear and anxiety. Well, a lot has changed, and so we're going to be talking about that today. Our guest is Michael Dietrich Chastain. We had him on a few weeks ago, and this week we're going to be talking about change. We're going to talk about leadership during times of change. We're also going to talk about something called appreciative inquiry. It was a fun interview because Michael basically did a lot of talking, but he interviewed me, which was a lot of fun as well. And I think you're going to take some really good pointers out of this. So why don't we jump back in? You know what to do. Buckle up that seatbelt. We're going to hit the road. Welcome to the Boss Builder Podcast. Michael, welcome back to the show. Hey, thank you so much, Mac. It's great to be here with you again. Yeah, it's not often that we get return guests, but uh, when you get asked for a second shot, that means you were good on the first one. If you were bad <laughs> on the first one, now yeah, we're kind of done. But uh, no, I enjoyed our time together and you sent me some cool swag in the book and things. And, you know, I- I'd like to say that since we did our last interview a couple of weeks ago, that, you know, by some miracle, there is now a cure for COVID and everything's back to normal and there's no more unrest in the streets and politicians are seen having food together and every now and then giving each other hugs and the world is in a great place and everybody loves everybody, but that's not the world I live in. I don't know about you, Michael. Yeah. I wish that was the case as well, but um, yeah, it's, it, I think in a, in a, to a certain extent, things are continuing to be maybe even more unpredictable just in a matter of weeks. It's, it's interesting to see how fast things continue to kind of change in this current climate that we're in of, of 2020. So, so yeah, not, uh, not back to normal quite yet. Now, what is the biggest thing that you are, are finding yourself missing six months into this hellacious year? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, I travel so much for work and I really enjoy it. And I enjoy the training that we do with leaders and teams and organizations and the speaking events and that I, I really, I really am missing that. You know, it's, it's great to be able to be in, I live in Asheville, North Carolina. It's great to be here. It's a wonderful little city. It's surrounded by beautiful nature and I'm, I'm grateful for that time. Um, and I really miss the connection that comes with the, with the in-person work that, uh, that we do. So how about you? What are, what are you missing? Well, you know, and this sounds awfully strange. I, there's only a few things that I really find myself missing. I missed the travel initially, but you know, now my last flight was, I think it was February the 28th. I flew home and that's the last time. And it was like, 
it was this obsession to look at my Southwest app and count my points and like, okay, I hope I get enough to get A-list preferred again this year. And then, and I remember even before this thinking, you know, how are you going to handle it when you're done and you're not on the road anymore? I mean, what are you going to do? Are you going to take the apps off your phone? And lo and behold, that's what I did. So Hmm. I don't have any of the Southwest, I don't have Southwest, Hilton hotels, national rental car, trip it, none of that stuff, the parking spot. So I don't know if I miss it anymore. I guess I, I miss shaking hands with people as much as humans are filthy animals. (laughs) I just miss shaking hands with people. Yeah. That sounds kind of weird. And then you don't know what to do. Do you get close to someone? What is the right distance? You know, I find, you know, my background, I think we talked about this, you know, in the Navy, I was in healthcare. And so for four years in Long Beach, I worked in the operating room and in the operating room, you know, once you put the sterile stuff on, you can't touch anyone or anything. So when you are walking and you pass someone, you pass them back to back. And that's how I find myself now when I'm around fellow human beings. It's almost feel like, you know, we're in a sterile environment. So I don't know. I I mean, I guess I traveled so much and I was crammed in planes with other humans. It feels kind of nice not to be around a lot of people all the time. So maybe I'm one of the weird ones. Uh, well, it's, it's an interesting time about the the communication uh, challenge. I was just talking to a group about this not too long ago, and the the difference between now, you know, maybe asking people how they want to be communicated with, you know, is it a is it a wave? Is it an elbow bump? Is it is it a fist bump? Or is it you know something else? And there's a I think there's something nice about that, like asking people how they'd like to be greeted. Uh, versus assuming is it a handshake? Is it a hug? Is it something else? And so uh, we're kind of we're kind of for- forced now to to, <laughs> to really be clear about what you know what what people are comfortable with. Yeah, what is the vibe like in Asheville? I mean, are people fighting against the mask, or are people pretty much in compliance? What's the vibe down there? Yeah, I would say it's mostly compliance. You know, we. Um, we don't go out a whole lot. You know, I'm in my office right now, thankfully. And there's really, you know, it's a small office and there's not a whole lot of other businesses in this building. And, and those that are here aren't here often. And so, you know, it's really just office to home and then like the grocery store and other, other chores. And when we are out in public, it seems like most folks have masks on, um, not a, not a ton of pushback. How about you? Well, it's maybe it's a little different here in middle Tennessee. I mean, this is definitely, I mean, I don't want to politicize, what's going on, but this is definitely Trump country. So when you walk into a place with a mask, you see the eyes staring at you. Mm. Like, what do you do not trust our president? What are you afraid of? Yeah. And, you know, again, having worked in healthcare, you wear a mask because you breathe a lot of shit out of your lungs and people breathe it out and you want to stay clean. So I don't know. I don't I have a problem. I don't, I mean, to be honest, I look much better with a mask on anyway, Mike. So I'm far more attractive. So I'm kind of liking the mask. But, uh, the worst part, I think, you know, when we started wearing them earlier, it was, you know, it was March and April and it mm-hmm. wasn't hot outside, but now you put the thing on and like, man, you don't realize how much you sweat underneath one of those things. Yeah, I mean, totally. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's just, I think it's just a lot of little weird inconveniences that before, I mean, imagine, you know, six months ago, you get out of your car at the grocery store, you walk in, you grab a cart, you walk around, you put your stuff in there, you get back in the car. I mean, now it becomes a production, you know, you've (laughs) got to make sure somebody's wiped the cart off at the Kroger and then you do your stuff and then you come home and you wipe your stuff and you're, 
hands. So I think human beings' hands have never been cleaner, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, yeah, just, it's, it's been an adjustment, hasn't it? It is. It's interesting to see how fast things can change, isn't it? You know, if someone were if someone were to tell you in, in November that, hey, next summer, everybody, you, you know, for the most part is going to be wearing a mask and you're going to be taking all these extra precautions and there's going to be a global pandemic. I mean, it would be a hard thing to believe in just six months down the road, how different things would be. No, you couldn't. And the thing is, if you had a warning like that, like, let's just pretend it is, uh, you know, July of 2019 mm-hmm. and people say, hey, you know, starting in January is going to be a pandemic. There's going to be a run on toilet paper. You know, we should right. we should start thinking about our COVID plan. And I can tell you exactly what would happen. People say, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, let's go ahead and get a meeting on the calendar. Yeah, right. Let's have a meeting about it. Right. Right. Um, and then let's. Oh, OK. Well, let's talk about, you know, moving people virtual. That's a yeah, we, we better start thinking about that. Um, why don't we get a consultant to help us? I mean, there's it would be all this drama and bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. So really, I mean, the best way to do it is to just rip the bandaid off and instantly, you know, having when we lived in the D.C. area for all those years. There was always the debate about teleworking. Mm-hmm. Because the traffic is horrendous there. That's why all the people from D.C. all want to move down to Asheville. That's right. why you get all the transplants down there because they yep. live in that hellacious commute. But um, but everybody was saying, well, we should try to you know stagger the workforce and we should hot desk. And we do that. Well, you know, you can't trust these people to work at home. Mm-hmm. So it's been tabled and tabled. And now, like, boom, we have to make it work. Just like, I mean, if you think about it, airline security um, after 9-11 if you had to try to put a plan together to do that, it would have never happened. But the fact that, you know, three air, four airplanes crash because of terrorist attacks. Now we have to take it seriously. Now, yeah. when you see armed people in an airport and women are being pulled out of the security line because their bras are setting off the metal detector, mm-hmm. you know, that's nothing you can plan for. That's just happens. And then eventually people get over it. So the fact that it's happening fast, I think is good. Which yeah. means that solutions might happen faster too. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. that's a good point. I mean, I I think that the it'll be interesting to see how the the landscape of of the work environment changes in the coming six months ahead globally. In regards to the working remote that you mentioned, I mean, I think it's highly likely that many organizations will see the benefits of that and drastically change their previous position from being one that maybe distrusts the productivity or possibility for productivity working remote. And then instead sees, wow, we could actually be saving, you know, a lot of money uh, if we maybe reduce our infrastructures and allow people a little bit more independence. And so what do do you think about that? Uh, I think I think because people have not had a choice, I think they have been working. I mean, at least in my work, when I would go to different companies, you could see that there's a core of people that really come to work and work hard. And there's a lot of them that, frankly, they don't contribute all that much. And, you know, when you have like when we had the recession back in 2008, 2009, I mean, people were laid off in droves, just kind of like they are today. But for the most part, the people that lost their jobs were the underperformers. You know, they were the ones that were just kind of there. And that's what happens in a really good economy is that companies start hiring. I mean, that's what you see on the news, the stats, you know, the unemployment rate drops. Well, what happens in some cases is that you get a lot of people in the workforce and you really don't need them. And that's where you get people that, you know, they, and I don't remember, you know, I can tell you, I remember years ago, this is probably 1989. I had a computer game, Tetris. Oh, yeah. And, and it had this thing called the boss key. 
So like if your plan and your boss comes, you hit, I forget what it was, control shift or something or other, it brings up this bogus spreadsheet. And I mean, that's people, that's just, I mean, you don't have enough to keep you busy. So I think what's happened is that, you know, there's been a lot of people laid off, but I think when you put people in an environment, the, the, the average person in a workplace out of an eight hour day might really work hard five hours. The rest of it is, you know, going to the bathroom and dropping in on a coworker and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So when you put people in a virtual environment and you say, this stuff's got to get done, they may not work a full day, but they're probably getting more done because there's less distractions. So that, yeah. I don't know. I would imagine someday somebody's going to do a study on it and write a couple of books on it. Yep. Yep. Cause I we don't know. It's all uncharted territory, but the good news is it sets the, parameters for the next time because no one had a playbook for this just like nobody has a playbook for reopening the workplace but when this is over with now we'll have data yeah yeah it'll be interesting to see how you know i'm guessing that some companies will institute you know more more clear working uh kind of kind of orders or or expectations clarity around deliverables so that they can more clearly track productivity you know, from a, from a remote sense, which, you know, I think, I think there's value in that value in being super clear about what's expected, what's the long-term play, what's the why behind it. I mean, all of these things might be now emphasized due to necessity, you know, since we, since in a lot of cases, folks won't have the chance to interact, uh, you know, face to face. Well, it's not hard. I mean, we've been a virtual organization since we started. Lisa and Rachel and I, I mean, I've known Lisa for a number of years and maybe in a good year, I might see her in person one time, sometimes twice. Rachel's been with us. It's going to be two years, I think, in October. And I've only seen Rachel in person one time. Yeah. And yet, you know, Lisa and Rachel, they know what they got to do. And the difference I see too, and maybe this will change is, uh, they actually, both of them kind of treat boss builders like it's their own and yeah. they'll make decisions on what they think works best. And, you know, a lot of times they call me out and say, no, I, I don't think you should do that. And part of me is like, wait a minute, last time I checked, I was the boss, but <laughs> you know, I mean, I see your point and a lot of times the, the good news, most of the time they're correct because they don't put themselves in it emotionally. So you know, we've had no trouble doing that. And I'm wondering if that's going to be the case with regular employers that the the staff will be virtual. They'll treat the company as if they're the owners, they'll make better decisions. And, you know, I mean, there's a point of valuing your job too, when you see so many people out of work, like, you know, mm-hmm. okay, what can I do? I don't want to just keep the seat warm here. I yeah. need to be able to figure out a way to add value. So it'll make, I think it'll make better workers. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Do you, do you think that the, like in regards to your folks example, you just gave some of that has to do with their, their like uh, kind of backing of, of the mission and the purpose behind what you're doing. I, I wonder, I wonder sometimes, you know, people's initiative and their willingness and interest to really give it their all, you know, a lot of that being motivated by the fact that they're, you know, they're, they have a sense of congruency with the mission or the values of whatever that organization is. And so, and so in this case, in your case, do you think that that's, uh, that's the case for you all? Well, I'd like to think it's because I'm an amazing leader, but <laughs> no, that's absolutely not the case. That's part and, of You know, it. I've never really thought about that, Michael. I think, you know, having worked in jobs when I had to work for people, if I didn't get excited about the mission, like for yeah. example, I worked for 
three years as the director of professional development at a trade association in Washington, D.C. And, and the trade association represented government contractors who wanted to do business with the federal government. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that did not interest me in the slightest. And, you know, you'd go to the meetings. I was on the staff and, you know, the, the members would want to talk about this new bill. I'm like, hell, I don't even know what it is. I don't like politics. <laughs> right. I really don't like this business. Yeah. I mean, I still I did. I thought a pretty good job, but I didn't wake up in the morning thinking, yeah, I cannot wait to come and make a difference yeah. in the world of government and contractors. Because, you know, I'd go to the conference and most of it, I'd say 98 percent were old white men sitting around smoking cigars, talking about all the business they had. I didn't relate to it. Right. So so I don't know. But I think you, you could definitely if you're a professional, let's put it this way, then you can work in any industry and do a great job. But if you really like what it is, that's when I think you're going to be a superstar. So yeah. Lisa and Rachel, I don't know. I, it's hard. I guess I've never asked them. Yeah, it'd be great. A great question. A great question. And I think there's, you know, and it, there's probably research to back this up, but, you know, when we align folks that, uh, you know, have strengths and interest and values that are in alignment with what the, what either what the job is or what the company is that, you know, the, the performance is resonant, you know, with, with that alignment. So the higher the alignment, the higher the performance. And so, um, yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I guess that's going to be maybe the beauty of, of this too, because if an organization, like, let's just, for an example, take the, the tech sec, you know, sector. So the people up in Silicon Valley, you know, it used to be, if you wanted to go work at those places, you would have to uproot and then go live in a really high cost of living area. But now the beauty is you could find talent anywhere in the world. And that way I think you can be more selective. Like if you want to come work for this company, you really have to have a passion for these things. And if we don't have a lot of people in our, you know, hiring area, then we go outside of that. I think it's going to be really good. I think recruiters are going to love it because it's going to be less of an issue. You're like, okay, do we got to pay relocation? No, you don't. Cause basically you're, you're taking care of all that yourself, but mm-hmm. you still get people who are super interested. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. There's so many saved costs that exist in, in so many industries because of this, yeah, kind of this circumstance that we're in. So yeah, it's really interesting. Well, it's going to help people like you and I, because, you know, before when somebody wanted us to come out and do something, they would have to pay us and then also travel on top of that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, one of our customers, you know, they were saying how how much they're saving on mm-hmm. a monthly basis without having to pay travel, not just for outside vendors like me, but for, mm-hmm. you know, their executives They're like, no, we can do it all now with zoom. And even when it comes back, are we going to go back to it? Which is, you know, the airlines I know are worried about it too, because of the backbone of an airline is the business traveler, you know, the vacationers are seasonal. And most of the time they're going to buy the ch- cheapest tickets out there, but it's the people that fly business class that bring the revenue in. And I think a lot of that is going to, is going to go away now. So it, I don't know, every industry is affected, but what's crazy about it is like the one industry that has done amazing this year has been those local fireworks stands. I don't know what it's like <laughs> in Asheville, you know, rednecks love their fireworks <laughs> anywhere down here in the South, you know, but uh, but what we saw this year, because all the public displays were gone, the fireworks stands were going crazy. And huh. normally, you know, normally when it's over with, like July 5th, you see the signs out there, you know, 50% off. And even last year, my uh, daughter and granddaughters came out to visit 
And we went like three days after 4th of July to the fireworks stand. And it had, it was like it would, it, no one had bought anything. Everything was 50% off. Hmm. This year, they're cleaned out. The day after 4th of July, all you see was the big tents. There was no more stuff. Interesting. So Interesting. It's, you just can't predict. And what economy is your specialty going to be like the hot commodity? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like hand sanitizer and toilet paper <laughs> and all that. I mean, this has been a good year for that. And think about Zoom, the company Zoom. Oh, they yeah. Have, their their what stock a, has yeah. been something to watch. So the airlines are wiped out, but Zoom and WebEx and all those, I mean, those guys are doing great. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they you sure know, are. We, yeah, we just need a crystal ball is what we need, Michael. And then, <laughs> you know, right. we'll be, I'll be doing well for a few more years. You've got a whole lifetime ahead to be doing stuff. But <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I don't know where it's going to go. And every day, you, you know, we, we have more uncertainty. And, I, you know, I think a I believe a lot of humans probably think, well, thank God for December 31st, 2020, because the morning of January 1st, man, this is all over with. Yeah. We start over, but I don't think that's going to be the case. Yeah, I agree. The calendar doesn't really dictate the virus. And, you know, granted, there'll be some changes probably after November with whatever happens in the elections. But, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. the, the magic, you know, moment of New Year's Day starting is you know, I hope it's not worse than 2020, but I don't expect, you know, that morning that we wake up and the birds will be chirping and, right. you know, masks will have disappeared and yeah, we'll all hug each other again. And you yeah, know, if, I, only if, if only it were that simple, right? <laughs> yeah. If, if only the calendar was that powerful, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So Michael, let me ask you something. We talked a little earlier and you had brought up some of the things that you're working in, especially something called appreciative inquiry. Yeah. Can we talk about that a little bit? Because that's something that I heard about when I first really got started in this career. And then I haven't heard much about it, but when you brought it up again, then I thought that's kind of intriguing. So Mm -hmm. talk to us about that. Yeah, it's, it's a great, you know, it's a great methodology. And if, the, if folks are interested in it, they can look at uh, David Cooper Ryder, who is the person that kind of founded it. And then there's a group that is an, is an excellent training uh, organization that trains in, in appreciative inquiry and amongst a few other philosophies, but uh, they're called exchange. And uh, yeah, I got certified in that exchange method last year and took just taken a deep dive into this appreciative inquiry method. And I've really enjoyed it. You know, it's really a, it's, it's a method, but it's all, you know, also kind of a mindset based on, you know, strengths orientation, positive psychology, um, f- different framing of questions to from problem focused questions to possibility focused questions. And then there's a, there's a design thinking element to it where you, you know, you kind of propose and then test and then iterate. And so the, the process can be used for everything from, you know, creating better relationships in a team or in an organization to doing strategic planning to, um, you know, hosting events. And so we've, we've been doing a lot of work on online since COVID hit, um, helping, you know, organizations host various events for their, uh, business ecosystem. And so, yeah, it has, it has a lot of different applications and it's been, uh, yeah, it's been fun. Well, I want to ask you a hypothetical question about that in a minute, but can you just summarize what appreciative inquiry is? Does it mean that we look on the bright side what does that actually mean? 
Yeah, it's it's a kind of an in depth uh, philosophy. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna read you the definition, Mac. Um, okay. So, so it's a strength based positive approach to leadership development, organizational change, and so the way that the way to, that I think about it is, well, I'll tell you what I'll give you I'll give you an example, which is a which is I think a good a, a good way or a good uh, model as a way to think about it. And so this is a story that comes from. Um, I think it was British Airways hired a consultancy that was an appreciative inquiry consultancy. And they hired them because that British Airways was having all this problem with lost baggage. Right. And so they were obviously getting really horrible feedback from all their customers and a lot of complaints. And so they said, well, we need to fix this thing. We need to fix this lost baggage problem. So the, the appreciative inquiry consultancy comes in and they, and they say, well, you, you actually need to ask a different question. Because the problem with that is that if you just try and solve the lost baggage problem, all you're really doing is coming to neutral. And this is a really important point that kind of think points out the appreciative inquiry method, which is when we look to problems, um, all, all we're really doing to solve the problem is getting us back to the baseline, right? And, and this, this example of the airline is a great one because, Mac, you and I know that if we're flying, the expectation is that our baggage gets there on time and it gets to the, to the right, you know, the right mm-hmm. space when we're going to going to leave the airport. Like that's just part of the, part of the drill, right? That's not, right. Uh, that's not anything unusual. So, so anyway, so they, they landed on a different question, which is how can we create an ex like an exceptional customer service experience? And so instead what happened through that question and, and long story short, basically the consultancy came in and helped British Airways answer that question, but through the process solved the lost baggage problem. But in addition to that, you know, 10x their customer service uh, report backs from folks and, you know, improved their culture and had all these other kind of additional benefits that were, that wouldn't have been able to to be found if they just had the question of, let's solve the lost baggage problem. So, so anyway, I think that's a, that's an example of, of some of the method, but does that, does that make sense? It does. I, you know, I guess I was kind of curious about it where I first heard about this was uh, one of my first jobs outside of the Navy. My boss was talking about David Cooper writer and appreciative inquiry. And the way he explained it, I kind of thought about that too, because I mean, I knew at that point what I was going to do with the rest of my life, but in trying to figure out the best way to do it, what I was looking back on was my experience before that, which was my 15 years in the military. And I remember even when I got out thinking, okay, no matter what I do, here is the things that I do not want anymore in my life. Mm. I don't want this. I don't want that. I don't want this. And I mean, I had this whole list of all the things I didn't want to do. Right. And then after talking to Stuart, I thought, well, let me think about that for a minute. Because I was still finding my way. I'd been out of the Navy at that point, maybe six months. And I was still like, you know, feeling the after effects. So I went back and I said, okay, let me go back to each of my previous duty stations. And I'm going to ask myself, what did I like best about that duty station? Mm, Not what are the things that were so bad that I never want to do again? Mm -hmm. And when I went back and I started to find the things that I liked best when I was happy, which was really only two years out of that 15 years, was that I had autonomy. I had the, you know, the command listened to my opinions. They valued my ideas. And I ended up walking out of that tour with, at the time, which was a significant medal for an enlisted guy, a Navy commendation medal. Up to that point, only officers got that stuff. 
So when I left, I thought, man, I felt so good about my career. And then I ended up going to my last duty station, which was an absolute train wreck of a duty station. It was a horrible mess. Hmm. But, but I look back and I thought, okay, so the proper question to ask is when you make this career change, what are the things that you love best about your previous jobs and how do you bring those into this? Now, yeah. is that way off of what appreciative inquiry is? No, no, not, not at all. Not at all. I think that that's, that's beautifully said. Yeah. The difference between looking at what we don't want versus what, yeah, what is the best of what was the best of what is and the best of what might be. Right. So you're, you're creating a different lens. And I, what I really like about that is that it, you know, it's applicable to everything. It's, it's, it's certainly a methodology that we could apply, you know, to solving organizational problems or, or team problems or human resource problems. But, but to your point, it's also a method that we can use to make decisions in life. Right. And framing, framing, what is it that I want to move toward versus what is it that I'm moving away from? You know, and so, so yeah, no, I think that that's a great example, Mac. So then in, in keeping in mind what you do with that, mm-hmm. how would you, so how would you help a company then that was thinking about this transition back to the workplace? Would appreciative yeah. inquiry be applicable there or would we need some other methodology? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We've been, myself and some, some colleagues and partners have been doing these really interesting events, a number of them in the last few months related, exact, exactly related to your question. Um, which are strategic convening events, which is basically the, the, this comes, this, this met or this uh, name comes from Cooper Ryder, but the idea is that you, you host an event where, or a series of events where you're bringing in various people from your business ecosystem. And this could be employees. This could be, you know, uh, advertisers. It could be vendors. It could be strategic partners. Um, those that are familiar with your business, right? And you're bringing them in in order to kind of crowdsource what is, uh, what is it that they'd love to see going forward, right? So keeping with that same spirit of what do we want to see versus what are we, you know, what are we moving away from? And we've seen tremendous results from that. We're working with one client right now that, um, you know, long story short, they've hosted a series of these as a way to connect to the folks in their ecosystem, you know, and this started kind of back in, in March or April, I guess, when things were a little bit uh, more chaotic, you know, in the sense that we were just kind of coming into COVID and, and businesses were being really disrupted and uncertain. And so they started hosting these events with our help. And the outcome of that was that all these folks in their ecosystem were seeing them as a hub to connect and to solve problems because we, during these events, we would, we would both facilitate connection with those that were there and that we would also pose these really interesting questions around, you know, how might we pivot our businesses? How can we be a support to each other? What are we seeing as possibilities now that maybe weren't there previously? And so through these events, they've gained all of this additional attention in their industry so much that now we're helping them plan a a large two day conference that'll go next a month and we're bringing in some really great, you know, well, very well known, you know, speakers and both in the industry and, and outside. And uh, yeah, this, this company has gone from, you know, they were, they, they are, they are a national or international air filtration company. And now they're, they're making, making a pivot to add another vertical in their organization, which is um, running events. And so, yeah, so it's, so it's, it's definitely a process that, 
can be used to create community, to solve problems, and in this case, create a whole new business vertical. <laughs> wow, that's impressive. Are you finding that more companies are starting to address this issue now? Yeah, the you mean the issue of like how do we reopen or how do we? Yeah, pivot? yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, I, yeah, I've got all all sorts of clients that in various industries are faced with this question and the complexity of the question of course is, you know, directly connected to what industry they're in and, and their business model. But, um, but, you know, I am seeing that in, in the best cases, they're crowdsourcing, uh, you know, people or cut, you know, again, customers, advertisers, partners, vendors as a way to make decisions. And I think, you know, for fo- even folks that are internal to their organization can take that same approach. And that's, you know, if I had somebody in front of me, Mac, and they were asking me this question and wanting to figure out how to work together, that's what I would be curious about. How could we design an event that would bring in a very diverse group from their organization to help make the decision together? Because um, one, you know, one of the things I continue to learn is that uh, the amount of value that you can get from hosting an event like this and the amount of speed that it takes to land on the volume of ideas and solutions is exponential compared to having, you know, five, six people in a boardroom trying to come up with what the decision is. Well, just imagine if you were an employee and somebody was asking for your opinion, you know, how powerful that would be. I mean, I think some people would say, well, you know, I don't know. I I don't want just tell me what to do. But there's probably a bunch of people that would be like, yeah, finally, somebody's asking what I think. Yeah, exactly. And you you bring up a really good point, which, you know, we're seeing evidence of this as well, which is when companies really lean in to all the folks within their organization, or at least a, you know, a, a handful of them in various departments, is that it does at by and large create engagement in a way that, um, you know, in a way that maybe wasn't available previously, because the folks that are being engaged are, are having that response for the most part saying, wow, you know, I'm being invited in into a conversation for a, str- a strategic decision. That must mean I'm, I'm really valued here. And so I think that, as far as culture building goes, you know, in, in someone in HR, someone in leadership of an organization has a lot of opportunity when they're inviting multiple folks into these kinds of conversations. Yeah. Well, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, a, a, an employee feeling like they're really part of something, you know, like Lisa and Rachel, and maybe this is the way to do it is to let people know, you know, we value you enough to even want to entertain your opinion. Absolutely. I think a lot of people would look at that and say, wow, that this is the kind of place I really want to work. And mm-hmm. as a company owner, as an executive, I mean, you, you could have slaves basically that just show up and you pay them and they do their job and go home. Or you could have people that treat your organization as if they own it mm-hmm. and they'll take care of it like it's their own, which gets us back to working with Lisa and Rachel. Yeah. They, they treat this thing like it's their own. They think about it even when I'm not. And that's why they're both so invaluable, but it's a, I think it's a great lesson for organizations. Yeah. And I, you know, I think any, any leader or, you know, HR professional, I, I think should be asking that question at all times anyway, which is how can we create more buy-in? How can we create more engagement? You know, how can we create more enthusiasm for those that are working here. And so I, you know, I I think to a certain extent, that question is always being asked anyway, as it relates to, you know, productivity and output. Um, But, you know, here, here's a way to get there 
um, that also has all of these other benefits. Yeah. And so the good news is you guys do this kind of work, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And, and well, right now, you know, we're, we're doing it, we're doing it all virtually. Um, I have done it. We have done it in person, certainly, but yeah, right now it's all, uh, it's all virtual. And so it's, it's, it's but I think this is the time to do it though. Right. I mean, sure. why are we going to all come back to work? And then after you come and then they say, well, we shouldn't have done this. This would be the time to do it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things, Mac, that I, that I've learned and my, my partners and, and, uh, colleagues would agree is that the, the, the speed and regularity in which we're doing things is very different from, you know, six, eight months ago, meaning that, you know, the difference between maybe last year, if we wanted to put together a, an employee event or a, let's say a, a collection of folks from a business ecosystem, we might say, you know, okay, it's July, let's plan this thing for you know, November, because there's all these logistics that need to be worked out and there's calendaring and, you know, there's, there's planning and all that, you know, and now the reality is, you know, who knows where we're going to be in, in November. And so, you know, we're finding that you can, there's, there's multiple reasons why you can make decisions quicker. Um, but the, one of which is of course the access to people, you know, it's much easier to put on an event virtually and say, Hey, you know, it's mid July, we're going to have this thing, you know, first week of August or second week of August. And, um, we're going to do it maybe only for three hours, but then we're going to have a three hour meeting every whatever, four, four weeks versus trying to plan a day long event, you know, every few months, for instance. Yeah. Oh, it all makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to give you a chance to tell us how to reach you in just a second, because if you're listening to this show today, it's very important that you make a point to start leaning on people to start thinking about reentry, what it looks like. Mm -hmm. But before we get there, I want to ask you one more question. And so I want you to think about this. Today, we'll date it. It is the, what is today? The 21st of July, 2020. Let's pretend that today is the last day of the pandemic. And tomorrow, everything goes back to where it was, let's just say, you know, July of 2019. What is one lesson, Michael, that you have taken from this six-month pandemic? Gosh. <laughs> I didn't want to put you on the spot, but I thought, what the hell, I'll do it anyway. No, it's a great question. I love it. I'm, I'm laughing because I'm trying to land on just one lesson. I mean, there have been... There have been so many. Um, you know, I think the the one that seems relevant to, to this conversation certainly is the fact that, you know, up until this point, you know, we, myself and, and, and my company, we've done a lot of, you know, coaching and training in person and, and love that work. And it's been interesting to me to see how, you know, all of the work that we're doing can be done virtually. And, you know, while, while it wouldn't be my preference forever, it's definitely effective. And it's, it's also, I, I'm, I'm happy and proud to say that, you know, it, we've been able to figure out a way to make it translatable, meaning we can have an event with a group of people and still make it experiential, still make it conversational, still make it to where folks are connecting and learning from and with each other rather than it just being, you know, lecture-based. And so, so I'm really appreciative for that lesson, that lesson that, you know, you can create strong relationships. You can create, you know, methodologies for making good strategic organizational decisions. Um, you know, and you can, you can, uh, do this, do this work from afar. And so that's, that's something I'm grateful for. 
That's awesome. Well, good. I guess is that appreciative inquiry too? I, I suppose I suppose part of it is. <laughs> yeah. Because if I says, you know, what's been the worst thing about the pandemic? Yeah, well, then that's yeah. I don't right. know what we call that, uh, you know, depressing inquiry. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll work on that. I can be the counter argument to you guys. How's that? There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, Michael, this has been great. How can the audience reach out to you and have you help them with this reentry planning using appreciative inquiry? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, can I give a couple resources for folks? Absolutely. Yeah. Great. So uh, if they want to learn more about, you know, our organization, it's ARC Integrated, A-R-C Integrated, and you can find us at arcintegrated.com. And that will lead you to information about leadership coaching and about organizational consulting work. And if you're interested in these these events, we can talk about that. Uh, but in addition to that, we created a, a tool which has been getting a lot of traction since uh, the pandemic. And essentially, it's a it's a virtual card deck. And what that means, Mac, is it's a question deck that can be used for everything from team meetings to, you know, large scale of virtual events. And it can, you know, it could be used for even around around the dinner table. And the purpose of this card deck is to really ask ourselves and each other better questions around these various aspects of our lived experience um, so that, you know, we can optimize our ability to manage stress, handle change, handle uncertainty. And so uh, we we essentially built out, there's a physical deck for this, but we built it out in the virtual world and are giving it away for free. So if people want access to that and they want to use it, again, with their teams or their organizations, they can just go to virtualchanges.com and it'll take them right to the deck and they can, you know, there's a video that explains it and it's pretty, it's pretty self uh, leading. And so it's, it's, uh, they can just go there and, and figure out how to use it. And of course, if there are questions, uh, they can reach out. So I wanted to give that away as a gift for folks today. No, that's great. No, I, and if you, uh, if you like this, please take advantage of this and definitely in, engage Michael in helping yourselves get back to, I'm not going to say new normal, 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 but <laughs> get, get ready for whatever the next thing is. Right. That's right. All right. Well, Michael, thank you so much for uh, joining us a second time. We are grateful for you. Thank you, Mac. It's a real pleasure to connect with you again. Well, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Boss Builder Podcast, the podcast for those of you who are new to supervision, those of you in the role and struggling, and even those of you who are thinking about one day making the important transition to management. This podcast is just one resource we have. If you check out our website at greatbosstools.com, you can view some other resources we have there. We'd love to have you as part of our courses. If you're listening to this podcast on any podcast app, we'd also appreciate you taking a few moments to give us a review. Positive, of course, it really helps us out. So with that, take care and get out there and make it your goal to be the absolute best boss ever. Mm -hmm.